0: Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians in chapter 1. Our text this morning comes in verses 3 through 8, which I would like to read for you now. And um, I want to re- read beginning of verse 1 to kind of catch, catch the context here. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul an Apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the spirit. As we come to verses three through eight, the governing thought in this entire section of scripture here is that of giving thanks. Paul was expressing his thanks to God in prayer to God because of what God had done in the life of those believers in Colossae. I mean, look at verse 3. It says this, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is he giving thanks? By praying always for you. Why? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love which you have for all the saints. Paul had heard about these Colossians, how they had come to embrace faith in Christ He'd heard how they had expressed that faith through love to one another, And Paul responded in the only way that's natural for a spiritual man to respond. By giving thanks to God in prayers for God's work among the people in Colossae. As we look to expand this text, expound upon this text, I believe the best place to begin is, is at the end of the text. Because it's there that we discover how the Colossians first came to hear the gospel and how Paul heard about their faith and love and then how Paul responded. So we need to start there. My first point this morning is hearing of the work of God. Hearing of the work of God. Last week I mentioned that Paul probably never met these people at the church in Colossae, according to chapter 2, verse 1. He had not personally seen many of their faces. It's possible that he, he traveled through the city, or maybe a, a nearby city, as you trace Paul's travels in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 18, he was in the, the, the region of Galatia and Phrygia. He was on his way to Ephesus. Colossae was right here in the middle, and, and so he may have he may have gone right through the Lycus Valley to pass through Colossae, but in Acts, we don't hear of any ministry that was done in Colossae. We don't hear of any activity in Colossae. We don't even hear that he stopped in Colossae, but maybe he just passed right through. Maybe he went around. So we don't even know if Paul was there at all. But by the time then he reached Ephesus, he stayed there for three years. In Acts chapter 19, you can read about how he was in in Ephesus. He first went to the synagogue. This was always his custom. And he was teaching there boldly persuading the Jews there for three months about the kingdom of God. And and this is always the case. Paul went to the Jew first and then to the Greek. He went to the synagogue and some were persuaded and some weren't. And those that were persuaded liked Paul and those that weren't kicked him out of the synagogue. And so Paul left the synagogue and then he spent more than two years reasoning in the school of Tyrannus about Christ there in, in Ephesus. And his ministry was so effective there in Ephesus that we read that that the gospel went out and Paul writes or Luke writes in Acts nineteen verse ten that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now certainly I'm not sure that's every single person, but it's it's the gospel from Ephesus really spread out into Asia Minor, mostly what we call Turkey today. Spread out kinda in all that region that, that from Ephesus The word had gone out and many people had heard it. And so the best thing that we can piece together in terms of what happened in Colossae and how the people in Colossae heard about Jesus Christ is that there was this man named Epaphras. We don't know much about him, but my best guess is that he heard Paul speak in Ephesus he heard of the, the grace of God in truth, and he went out to spread that message in Asia. And one of the places he went to was back to the city of Colossae. That's what we can glean from chapter 1, verse 6. Right, The gospel has come to you. It's been increasing in all the world, and it's been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. They heard... The grace of God and truth, just as you learned at verse 7, from Epaphras, our fellow, beloved bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Epaphras somehow was connected with Paul on our behalf. He was ministering for Christ, and I believe it from Ephesus to Colossae that the Colossians heard. Now, we don't know much about the city of Colossae, Um, I would suspect that there was some kind of Jewish influence, as we see Paul writing in chapter 2 of this Jewish influence that had come into the church that Paul was combating against. So I suspect there were some Jews there. Maybe there was a synagogue in which Epaphras left and went to the synagogue first. Maybe he, he gathered with some of the Jewish people there. He probably started speaking of the gospel. And I suspect some of the Jews embraced the gospel, but the others didn't want anything to do with it. Then it went to the Greek, probably. There were some of those in the city who embraced the truth. As we read in verse 6, the gospel then took root and and grew. It it bore fruit and it increased. Now, we have no indication whether lots of people, small people who received the word, but we do know that those who received the word were fruitful and increased in the gospel. Well, you need to ask now, Paul heard this word. How did Paul hear this? Well, he heard it from Epaphras. We know in Colossians chapter 4, verse 18, that Paul's a prisoner the time he wrote the book of Colossians. We find out in Philemon, Philemon, verse 23, that Epaphras was a fellow prisoner of Paul at the same time. We also find out that Tychicus is going to go with this letter to Colossae rather than Epaphras because pa- Epaphras is bound like Paul. And it's pretty easy for us to imagine what took place. Here are two evangelists together in prison. What do you think they're going to talk about? They're going to talk about what the Lord had done through their ministry and how it came about that they both ended up in jail. You know, And maybe Paul picked it up and, and talked to him about his, his ministry in Ephesus and how, Paul, how Epaphras is there. And then maybe Paul told about how when Epaphras left, the turmoil that came about in Ephesus when so many magicians were coming to faith in Christ, they had this huge bonfire of all these books of magic. They burned. And, and the people in Ephesus were so concerned about how the people who following the way of Christ were being persuaded away from the temple of Artemis, which was a, a key economic center there in in the place of Ephesus, and how there's an uproar in the city, and Paul eventually left, went up through Macedonia, and went to Achaia, and tried to come back, and was back in Jerusalem in time for Pentecost, and was there in the temple, and was accused of bringing a Greek into the temple, and was accused from the Jews of, of how he's defiling the temple, and was in prison, and and Paul may have told Epaphras how I was there for a while. And then I, I heard of this plot that they were going to kill me. Some people took an oath that they weren't going to eat or drink until Paul was dead. And so, so escorted by 200 Roman soldiers to Caesarea, where he finally, a couple days later, held trial. And uh, it was just so bad that Paul appealed to Caesar. So the king said, OK, to Caesar you go. And now Epaphras, I'm in Rome, a prisoner going to defend my case before Caesar what happened to you, Epaphras? And Epaphras perhaps told this story. Well, Paul, I heard the Gospel here in Ephesus and I went back and I started sharing the Gospel in Colossae. And uh, I started sharing it and these people started coming to faith and the church was growing and things were going well and, and, and the Gospel which came transformed these people lo- people's lives. And, and they are faithful brethren there, Paul. and And I'm encouraged by the work there, but you know what, there was some trouble I got into. You got in trouble for preaching the gospel. So did I. And we don't even know how it is that Epaphras ended up in a Roman prison along with Paul. But somehow he was in prison, perhaps for uh, preaching the gospel, somehow told him that eventually they're in prison together and telling of all the things. And I'm sure I can just even listen to Epaphras and hear what Epaphras is telling Paul about the church in Colossae. He would have told them about their faith in Christ Jesus how they trusted and embraced Jesus. He would have told them about the love that they had for all the saints. would have told them about the hope that they had in, in the coming days when they will sit with Christ Jesus in glory and would have told them about the fruit that was being produced in their lives. I know that because that's what Paul says. He gave thanks to God for them about all those types of things. And I'm sure as Paul and Epaphras were there in this Roman prison, they were talking about these things, Paul's heart just welled up with praise and thanksgiving. And those are the things that he heard about the church in Colossae who he'd never met from Epaphras, stirred his heart to pray always for them. Right? In other words, you need to realize this. It was, it was the work that God had done and Paul hearing of the work that God had done that caused him to incessantly always pray to God for thanksgiving for what Paul could do, for what God did among them. And I'm sure that Paul could relate with the Apostle John's thought the Apostle John said, I have no greater joy than this, than hearing my children walking in the truth. And when Paul heard that God was moving among this pe- group of people in a faraway city, he was very joyful and expressed his joy in giving thanks to God. That's what's happening in verses 7 and 8. Pretty simple, right? Now now let's, let's begin to apply it a little bit. When you hear <coughs> of the work of God, In another location where God is stirring and God is moving, what sort of response do you have? Are you indifferent to it? Or does it thrill your soul? When you hear of people saved from their sin, when you hear of churches planted or movements, even among other churches that are causing a great blessing, do these things thrill your soul? Are you thankful to God for such things? That's what Paul was. I think about in our our women's Bible study. Uh, An assignment has been given that um, we've encouraged the ladies to write down a hundred things that they are thankful for. How how many of you ladies did that? Several of you. And I I talked with Yvonne about this and um, she kind of talked to some of you about it. And kind of the general feedback that I got was this. You know, the first 20 or 30 things came pretty easily. But after that, it was... But it, it was it was it was more difficult to come up with another 70 things to be thankful for. Is that is that maybe ring true a little bit? Um, just in terms of how difficult it is. In fact, Devon, I went over the list of of things that she was thankful for, and um, it would have been good if I'd have had them up here. But <laughs> some of the things she's thankful for, she you know, she just took a shower. I just installed a, a bathroom heater in our bathroom. You know, so. We go in and it it heats up the bathroom and kind of makes it nice. And she was thankful for the heater in the bathroom, you know. And, And one time I think she saw my son out skateboarding in a skateboard ramp that we have out back. And just thankful for that. Just trying to just kind of stretch for anything. But let me ask you, ladies. Let me ask you, men. Think about the things you're thankful for. How many of the items on your list which you were thankful for were thankful for the work of God in some other remote place. Ivan and I looked at our list together and we discovered just a few items that were like that. There were some, um, not a lot, but I think about even this text, what Paul was thankful for, all of a sudden being thankful for a hundred things isn't so difficult at all. I mean you can think you can thank God for the many people that have come to faith in Christ wherever they may be. You can think of other churches that you know of that God has blessed greatly and give thanks to God for that. You can give thanks to God for other ministries that God has raised up to serve his people who you don't even know. You don't even know the leaders of those ministries, but you know that they're doing a good work. You can thank God for books and tapes that have come into your hands through the work and ministry of other people. You can thank God for many, even historic books that have been written, people you've never even met years ago that have helped you in your soul. You know, as as I thought about this text this week, I was amazed to realize that such things are often like not even on my radar screen to give thanks to God for. And yet Paul was giving thanks always for these Colossians. So I want to give thanks to God, even today. I... I, I think about um, this past Wednesday through Friday, I went to a, a conference. It was called Together for the Gospel in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, there were 2,500 at least, maybe pushing 3,000 men at this conference. Originally, it was men and women, but it was just packed with men, and so they just said men. And primarily, most of these people were pastors or church leaders, 2,500 And I think some of it was the star-studded lineup that brought many of these people. Preaching at this conference were John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, John Piper, Mark Dever, C.J. Mahaney, Al Mohler, and Ligon Duncan. Like, these are are my heroes. I mean, I read these guys. I listen to these guys. I am thankful to these guys. I follow their ministries. I I read their books. I'm thankful for the churches and, and for their ministries. Had had a great time going up. We were planning on, on doing this it's together for the gospel. I mean, you've got different people of different theological persuasions, all fundamentally convinced of the sovereignty of God in the salvation of souls. That's the thing that brought all these people together. There's God's glory in His grace to stir among His people to lead them to faith. And that's the bottom line of all this. You had paedo-baptists and believers-baptists. You had charismatics and you had fundamentalists and you had all across the spectrum, but they all were getting together because they believed and embraced the gospel of Christ because the main thing was the main thing. C.J. Mahaney has taught me over the weeks and months. And so I tried to mobilize some people. I tried to get Larry Pauly from Elon Baptist Church and the Pastors from Morningstar Baptist Church. And Morningstar came. Bob Bixby and Mark Gerard had a tremendous time. Larry Pauly couldn't come. He canceled me like late. So my dad came as well. We had a wonderful time. That's the advantage of being retired, by the way. You can uh, just kind of take off on a whim. But had a wonderful time. But here's, here's what it's taught me. Is that um, I can be thankful to God for just, just even thinking about these seven men and for all the ministries of everything that they've, they've done. I think about John Piper. And uh, the things that he has done at Bethlehem Baptist Church, and how God has used that church to raise up even Desiring God Ministries, which is spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. Doing a great job. R.C. Sproul. I, I thank the Lord for R.C. Sproul's ministry as well. I know it's impacted my father immensely. I, I know that just his ministry has been immense. He's a pastoring of a church now. In Orlando, Florida. And, and I can rejoice and thank the Lord and pray to God for the ministry of R.C. Sproul. I think of Mark Dever and uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church and, and how God has used that ministry. He's got a, a, a ministry out of that called Nine Marks, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and how that has really extended and to many, many churches across our nation and how it has just infiltrated and caused many people to grow in their love for Christ. I think about C.J. Mahaney, and he has taught me so much about keeping the cross central in all that we do as a church. And I thank the Lord for, he's kind of a, over about 30 to 50 to 70, I'm not sure, churches. And, and in all those churches, I just appreciate their humility and their, um, their kindness and their compassion. It just bleeds to that. So I can thank God for all those churches, every single one of them. I can thank the Lord for Al Moller and what he's done at Southern Seminary. He's taken a seminary that was was bleeding liberal and has brought it back in the past 15 years to be a conservative, staunch, Southern Baptist seminary that is doing great things for the Lord. I I think about all the the pastors and all the churches and everything that's impacted by Al Mohler. Ligand Duncan, pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Jacksonville, Mississippi. And and the things that he has spoken of that I've heard... I appreciate and I embrace, and I thank the Lord for that one of the, one of the guys in fact i 'm not sure you know this, but he 's president of a bunch of evangelical um, associations and one of the one of the men says well legan you 're president over all of evangelicalism just he 's president of the pCA i think president of uh, uh, Council for Biblical manhood and womanhood and some other things Alliance of confessing evangelicals he 's just in pastor of this church and wonderful. i can thank the lord for him and his ministry at the church i can thankful for the council of biblical manhood and womanhood i can thank the lord for the pca which is doing a great job in our nation today i can thank the lord for the alliance of confessing evangelicals I, just all these things that all of a sudden is a hundred things very difficult to be thankful for not really i, I gotta tell you one story it's an anecdote these guys are like my heroes i, I John MacArthur. That's right. i got to get to him. He's like the hero of the faith. He was one who really transformed my life immensely. Uh, you can read on the website. I talked there about a pastor coming, preaching from Matthew chapter 7, a message I'd never heard before, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like, oh, oh. You mean I'm in a church with non-Christians? We were in a liberal Protestant church at that time. It's like, oh, that makes sense. These people don't love Christ. They like religion, but they don't love Jesus. And, you know, that just made a huge impact on my life. Started listening to just tapes, went to seminary. He's like, I can give thanks to the Lord for many things. You know, the Master's Seminary, the Master's College, Grace Community Church, where my wife became a Christian. Just an immense thing. I can give thanks to the Lord for what he has done through John MacArthur. So, <laughs> after one session, Dad went away someplace, and uh, we were on the sixth floor. And and I, you know, the elevators are kind of jam packed, and so you know, at this hotel, I mean, thousands of people. There were people who were there at the conference who, someone said, "Oh, have you seen so and so?" I'm like, "I didn't see so and so," but I kept looking around. There's so many people over three days couldn't get there. But anyway, I sent my dad off. I'm running up six flights of stairs. I'm running up, and who do I see? I see John MacArthur. And uh, I'm winded. He's in there waiting for the elevator to go. So I know I've got 30 seconds to talk to him and say something impressionable, you know. And... um, I'm there, and uh, right next to him was a guy named Rick Holland, who I roomed with in college, so I'm like a roomed with in seminary, and so he, you know, can, can have something there, and I like, "Hi, Rick, how are you?" And he says, "John, John, you know, you met Steve Brandon before," and John said, "Yeah, yeah, Illinois, is that right?" Yeah, I said, "Yeah." He said, "Yeah, you recently relocated, didn't you?" It's like five years ago news, but I wanted to I wanted to say something. I just my heart was beating because I was excited to meet him, and I was winded, and I just I couldn't even say anything to him. My heroes! And I couldn't say anything to them. But you know what? I'm just, that's how thankful I am to the Lord for just the ministry of John MacArthur and Grace Community Church and a hundred things to become thankful for when you open it up to other ministries is not very difficult. Well, let's bring it down even here to us. As many of you know, I recently returned from a trip to Nepal. And coming back, I told you some incredible things that God is doing in Nepal. Uh, I told you the story about this pastor of this church in Bakunde, This small little village on the outskirts of Kathmandu. Probably about an hour and a half travel through the mountains. And you get to this kind of little valley where there's some people here. And then up on the mountains there's some people. And uh, I told you this pastor grew up here, moved away for 30 years, and then came back to uh, plant this church. When he came back, there was one Christian in the town. He opened up a tea shop and began preaching the gospel to those who'd come. Miracles are taking place in, uh, in, in Bakunde. There's a, a woman who um, had fainting spells, right? And, and her husband came in. I told you the story. And he said, I'll, I'll pray for your wife. His wife was healed, stopped having these fainting spells. They suspect it was demonism. And uh, as a result of that, this man came to faith in Christ to the preaching of the Word, now he's become a deacon at the church. Kind of those kind of things are just happening. And at that church, first there was the pastor, then there were a handful, and then there were a dozen, and then there were a score, and then there were 50, and then there were about, I'm guessing maybe a hundred people there. They're in Bakunde. It's the only church in town. If you go to church, if you live in Bakunde, go to church, you go to that church. If you live two hours up and over the mountain, you go to that church because it's the closest church around if you go to that church, it's probably because you've been converted through the ministry of that church. And as I came back, I told you of some of the things of, that's taken place there, just about the leadership of the church and how you know, it's difficult there to live in Nepal, how, how people are often, when they embrace Christ, are often ostracized from their family, especially when they take baptism, is how they call it. When they take baptism, it's a big time they're ostracized from their family and spoke to people there who are disinherited, shunned by society, And yet, we learn through the leadership there that there are many who are faithful to Christ. It's a thriving church in Vikundi. And I believe as a church, we have a golden opportunity to help them as a church. We have tried to put this church before you. In in our our prayer meeting on Sunday mornings, you're all invited and encouraged to attend. We pray for Nepal almost every Sunday. We pray even up front here, trying to put Nepal. Now, let me ask you. Are you thankful to God for the work done in Nepal? Since the day you heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and the love they have for all the saints, have you prayed always for them? You might be saying, Steve, you know, I wasn't there. Uh, I don't even know who these people are. Are you sure I've heard a little bit? I've seen some pictures, seen their names. But it's hard for me to pray for people I've never met. You know what? It's exactly what Paul is doing. He'd never met the people in Colossae. All he'd done is heard about them through Epaphras. And I would guess that you know more (coughs) about the church in Nepal than Paul knew about the church in Colossae in many ways. You've seen pictures of these people. (coughs) You've heard stories of them. You've even heard a video. You've heard some of their, their voices speaking out. We've prayed much. You probably know more. And I guess I say, have you done what Paul has done? Do you pray for them always? And I know that I myself, I'm convicted because I have not prayed for them always. There have been days I haven't prayed for them. I get so consumed in my own little life that I don't have a thankful heart for what God is doing because God is doing a wonderful work there. And I ask myself, and I ask you all, why aren't we so thankful? Why aren't why are we just overflowing with thanks like Paul is? <clears throat> Here's the solution. I think it comes down to we don't have spiritual eyes to see the wonders of God's working. You remember the story when Elisha and his attendant had gone out of the city? They got out of the city, and then all of a sudden they're surrounded by this Aramean army. And um, Elisha's servant was fearful. In fact, even he said to Elisha, <coughs> Alas! My master, what shall we do? City's surrounded. What shall we do? And Elisha then said in 2 Kings chapter 6, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha, after talking to the servant, he prayed to God. And he said in 2 Kings 6, 18, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And Lord, opened the servant's eyes. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That ours is more than those. Those who are with us are more than those who are against them. And it changed the perspective of the servant. When he saw spiritually what was going on, the city eventually was spared to those warriors who came to their aid. And with respect to the issue here in Colossae, I believe it's because Paul's Understanding of what's taking place spiritually in Colossae and the magnitude of the things that's taking place spiritually in Colossae, Paul knows of the incredible blessing and kindness of God upon those people. He knew the blessings that they would experience now they were converted. He knew of the glory that would be rendered to God for the blessings these people would pour out to God. And it was easy to pray for Paul to pray this way because his mind was in tune with the working of God. And I think that much of the reason why we're not thankful is because we little realize the glory of the work that God does in the hearts of those who believe. Let's look at my second point. We have hearing the work of God, thankful for the work of God. And what I want to do now is show you the four characteristics of this Colossian church that Paul was thankful for and show you how, how incredible those things are and thus try to instir your hearts than to give thanks to God in prayer when you see that in other people. Does that make sense? I think that's the direct application for us. Look, Paul first heard, look, of their faith. We've been praying always for you, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul heard the Colossians had faith in Christ and he knew what it meant for them. I just surveyed Colossians, and I said, okay, what does it mean for them to believe in Christ? Here's what it means. It means these Colossians believers had transferred kingdoms. Colossians 1, verse 13 says that they've been transferred from darkness to light. Believing in Jesus Christ means that they receive forgiveness of sins, chapter 1, verse 14. Believing in Christ meant that they were now reconciled to God rather than being enemies. Faith does that. It reconciles us to God. It meant, that's chapter 1, verse 22, it meant that they would be presented before God holy and blameless and perfect. That's the message of the Gospel. You believe in Christ, sanctify you, forgive your sins, and then present you to the Father holy and perfect and blameless. It meant, chapter 2, verse 13, that they were made alive. At one time they were dead, but they are made alive. It meant, chapter 2, verse 14, that they would never, ever, ever, ever again face the punishment that their sin deserved. Incredible blessings to the prophet. This is why it's good news never facing the punishment that we deserve. It meant, chapter 3, verse 4, that they would be revealed someday with Jesus Christ in glory. And as we go through this epistle, we're going to take each of those statements and just expound them and show you the the glories of them. I want to just tease out a couple, like verses 13 and 14. I figure this would be a good place to show about faith and what it does. It says there that He rescued us. "...from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Paul knew these Colossian believers were no longer controlled by the domain of darkness. Rather, they have been transferred to a different kingdom. It's called the kingdom of His beloved Son, the kingdom of Christ. And I'm telling you, to live in the kingdom is so much better than to live in darkness. And Paul knew of the effects that these Colossians would experience in that process. Yesterday, there was an article with a picture on the front page of the Rockford Register Star. You go home, you can pick it up. The article explained how 233 people here in the Rock River area recently took the oath of citizenship to become citizens of the United States. And just with a you know, front page, because this whole immigration issue has come upon us in recent days, in this article, listen to what Amy Massoff, a job developer for Rock Valley College, said. She said this w- We try to persuade our immigrants who are kind of in the college or kind of around, we try to persuade our grimm- immigrants when they're eligible to become citizens to get it done because the benefits are so great. And then she said this Most don't need a lot of persuasion. The country we live in is a great country. And there's a huge difference in the living conditions here as opposed to living conditions in many of the countries from which these immigrants come. And they know it. And they want to enjoy the blessings of America. And when you compare the blessings of living in America, so many conveniences as opposed to living in many of these nations where they come from, it's like, I want to live in America! America! People are, are longing other nations to come to America because we have it so well here, <coughs> physically. <coughs> now, the comparison comes across to the comparison of the blessings of the kingdom of Christ as opposed to the domain of darkness. And yet, the, the, the difference between America and other foreign countries... Like, the difference between the darkness and the kingdom of Christ is so much better and so much more glorious and so much better. It doesn't begin to compare, but it gives you a little a little taste, right? These, these immigrants know they don't need much persuasion to get in and because of the blessings of living in America. And Paul also knew, he was thankful because he knew that the blessings that were going to come upon these Colossians because of their faith, in a different kingdom, in the kingdom of his beloved son, it's the best place to live. Also, verse 14 says, that in him by faith we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul understood what it meant to be forgiving. He was a, before he became a Christian, he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, persecuting the church with violence, approving the death of some of its most outspoken leaders like Stephen. He was a blasphemer against God. And yet, through faith in Christ Jesus, Paul was shown mercy. And Paul knew what it was to have the weight of sin rise up off of your shoulders so you're no longer under the weight of the condemnation of God. And it's simply by faith and trust in Christ. That's lifted up. That's what forgiveness means. It means at one time the, the sin which is upon your shoulder a burden upon your back like Pil- Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. That it weighs you down. That it, it, it just continues to beat you down and accuse you. And to be against you. And to be hostile towards you. But by faith in Christ, it just all drops away. And it drops away and God takes it and picks it up and He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. And according to the promise of the Gospel, Paul knew how free they were when they expressed their faith in Christ. And it caused him to give thanks to God because he knew the blessings that had come upon the Colossian believers because their faith in Christ. You know, for Paul to give thanks to the Colossian believers is easy. Because he, he knew of the, the remarkable change of blessing that they'll have because of their faith in Christ. Let's look at the next thing. He also heard of their love. Verse 4, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Now, since Paul had never met these people, the only way that he knew of their faith was through Epaphras telling them. So think about this, Epaphras is there, he tells Paul their love. What's he going to do? He's going to tell example after example after example after example after example of how these Colossian believers had a love for all the saints, and oh, to hear the stories of how the Colossians expressed their faith. Maybe there's some need in which the believers in Colossians experienced, some financial need, some medical need, some travel need. And maybe Epaphras told Paul of how the believers in Colossians sacrificed to themselves, to meet this need, maybe Epaphras told of how these believers just love one another and long to be with one another. He says, You can't get them away from church. You, they, they gather all the time because there's nothing other they want than to be with each other. They have an interest in one another. When they gather together, they're not interested in their own interests, they're interested in the interests of others. They ask questions rather than just telling everything that's going on in life because they're interested in other people. And Epaphras could have told them. Epaphras could have told them how compassionate they were towards one another. Right? When one person in the congregation hurts, he says, all of them hurt in the congregation because there's a love of compassion there. Maybe Epaphras told Paul about how kind they were towards one another, the way that they spoke with one another, the way they greeted each other, the way they prayed for one another. Just there's this kindness that comes from love among them. Maybe Epaphras told Paul about how humble they acted towards one another. Right? They regarded others as more important than themselves. And that's what I was getting at earlier. Right? When you regard others as more important than themselves, what are you going to do? You're going to ask and seek and inquire how others are doing, and you're going to seek to help them. The key to humility is thinking not of self, but thinking of others. That's an expression of love. Maybe Epaphras told Paul of how gentle and patient they were with one another. They certainly they weren't perfect and certainly they sinned against one another. But Paul may have, Epaphras may have said, you know what, but the people in Colossae, yes, they have sinned against one another, but <laughs> there's amazing gentleness and patience to, to work that through. And they've confessed their sins toward one another, and damaged relationships have been restored. And maybe Epaphras told of how unified the church was. And you know what the key to unity in a church? is love. Listen to Colossians 3 verse 4. Love is called the perfect bond of unity. Love is the thing that holds a church together. And he said that those people there, they have an incredible love. The church is tremendously unified. And so now, picture again, Paul's hearing these things from the mouth of Epaphras. He would have been encouraged by their love. Why? Because the love is the fruit of faith. As they love one another, they demonstrated their faith to be genuine. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love, right? In other words, he's saying that it's, it's not the keeping of the external commandments which is important. It's faith in God working itself out in love towards other people. Faith working through love. That's what love is. It's a demonstration of faith. Has Paul heard of their love? He knew that it was an affirmation of their faith, and he knew that the faith would bring tremendous blessings upon them, and he was thankful to God that God had poured out those blessings upon those Colossian people. A curious phrase also comes in verse 8. <coughs> He also informed us of your love in the Spirit. In other words, this love in the Spirit is a little bit different than just love they have towards one another. I, I wrestle and try to figure out a little bit what this is. I, I'm not exactly sure. could be a couple things. I, I tend to think that it's a, a love in the Spirit. I think it's a spiritual love. I think it's a love for God as well. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. You say, love has characterized these people. And it's demonstrated it's the fruit of faith in all these things. Well, Paul heard of their faith. He heard of their love. And he heard of their hope. This comes in verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of what you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. In this verse, Paul's speaking about their anticipation of experiencing the joys in heaven. And they hold fast to this hope. Hope in the Bible is a little bit different than hope we have. We say, well, I hope things go well for you. Like, I don't know if they go well for you, but I hope they do. Biblical hope is like a, a steady confidence and assurance that these things are true. They have an assurance, this hope of the glories of heaven. See, because the gospel message is a a message about the life to come. To be sure, there are blessings today. I mean, there are benefits that we experience when we believe in Christ, risen from the dead. Marital happiness exists. Peace in the family. Happy children. Joy in life. Contentment in life. Understanding of the purpose of life. A security, a steady... All these things are blessings of the gospel that comes, but the good news is a message about eternity. And to kind of show what hope is about, look at verses 21 through 23. We have here kind of showing. He he talked about Paul. You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Yet now, he has reconciled you in his fleshly body, that's through the death of Christ, through death, in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, here's the gospel. One time we were alienated from God, hostile in our minds, exhibited a rebellion of evil deeds, and yet through the death of Christ we can escape punishment that the, our hostility towards God and our evil deeds deserve. And and the good news is this: Look at this, verse 22, is that He's reconciled us so that through the death of His fleshly body, He can present us before the Father holy and blameless and beyond reproach. See, Jesus in His death pulls out the only solvent that can wash away sins. And what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? And there's something about the blood of Jesus that, that Jesus will do, metaphorically now, He'll take the blood in a rag and he'll, he'll take us and on our soul He'll take this rag and he'll start, he'll start scrubbing a little bit with the blood of the cross and amazingly that all of our impurities comes upon His rag that was the blood shed at Calvary and we become holy and righteous and blameless. He's going to present us to the Father like that. And that's the hope we have. The hope in heaven. That's the hope these Colossians had somehow, and I don't understand fully how it works, but somehow the blood of Christ is applied by faith that we can stand before Him holy and blameless. And the only way to have that blood applied is by trusting in Christ as our all-sufficient Savior. And that's the point of verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, Okay, catch that. This is true for you if indeed you stand firm in the faith. In other words, faith isn't just a one-time prof- profession that then you're done with. Faith is a long-term possession if indeed you continue in the faith. Should you not continue in the faith the hope of the gospel, you'll be lost in your sins. I believe authentic faith will persevere and will continue on But it's the faith. Where is it? It's the faith not moved away from the hope of the gospel you heard. The gospel has hope. And the hope is this, that we will be presented holy and blameless before God. If you don't believe, I'm telling you, the consequences are terrible. You know, this past week, as as John Piper preached to all of us in this conference, I'm telling you, this is If you know anything about John Piper, this is hard to believe, but I believe he preached with an earnestness that I've never seen him preach before with. Maybe it's because he's on sabbatical leave and hasn't preached for a long time and kind of smacked us, but I I think it goes deeper than that. I think it goes because he's brushed with death. Um, uh, January, December, November, sometime he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Has written an excellent article, Don't Waste Your Cancer. Excellent, excellent article. And I think that he's come to think about cancer and all of that that it's come upon him. In February he had surgery, and by all, by all means the prognosis is good. But I think it's caused him to think about the brevity of life and the seriousness of, of this life and, and what happens when we die. I, I think he's 60 years old or 62 years old. And, and in his message he put it crystal clear. He said this, that everyone will either bow the knee to Jesus or will burn for their sins. And may bow your knee to Jesus, or so you'll burn for your sins. And, and he's just gripped by the seriousness of that. He said, that is so serious that, that an awesome, perfectly holy God would come down and would die upon the cross so as to permit and allow and cause people to bow the knee and enjoy the glories of heaven. And that message needs to be proclaimed because of the high cost that's at stake. You know, you think about the draft picks in the NFL and the the top-round draft pick gets the top dollar, you know? And, And this is like top dollar, major attention, major news. Christ Jesus dying for our sins, getting our attention because the stakes are so high and it's so serious. In his message, he spoke about the current wave, and I'm not sure you see this, maybe you do a little bit. The current wave of the day in American evangelicalism is to counsel pastors to lighten up. Is to tell some jokes. Is to create an environment that, you know, people like to come to that's not threatening. So as to build your church and so as to have success. Be an attractive place where people are amused. And then Piper said Did Jesus even hint at any of that? Listen to what Jesus said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Unless you hate everything in this world and denounce this world, you cannot be a disciple of Christ. So many people in the church are trying to have the world and Christ Right? That's why they're trying to lighten up to make it easy. And Piper, press this one. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be to my disciple. Right? To be a disciple of Christ, to take up your cross on your death march to be crucified. Just a picture. None of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions, right? There's nothing in my hands that I bring. It's simply the cross I cling. There's nothing in us that we have, that we can keep? What do you have that you haven't received? He said, have it with open arms. In light of these calls of Jesus, Piper said that any counsel that tells us to lighten up as pastors, such counsel is insane. And Paul knew, I think, of these eternal stakes. That's why he was so thrilled with what was taking place in Colossae when Epaphras told him. They bent the knee to Jesus means they wouldn't burn for their sins. And Paul knew of the hope that these Colossians had. He knew that they would experience complete cleansing of their sins, not by the works that they'd done, but because of the sheer mercy of Jesus Christ. Because they understood, as verse 6 calls it, the grace of God in truth. That's why Paul was so thankful, because he saw the spiritual realities that was taking place in Colossae. And he, he saw past the physical mundane and he saw the, the ultimate reality as the most important thing and continually gave thanks to God for his working among these people. One last characteristic of what he saw. Past the triad that Paul constantly talks about, faith, love, and hope. There was one more. They had fruit in their lives. Look at verse 6. It says, The gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. In other words, the message of God's grace to unworthy sinners who entrust their lives to Christ has been evident in the lives of these believers in Colossae. It is bearing fruit. It is increasing. It's transforming their lives. They're living differently than they lived before. Whereas once they walked in immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed... They're now walking differently. They've put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Whereas once they were characterized by anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech, now they're bearing with one another and forgiving each other just as the Lord forgave them, so also they were doing. And it's been spreading to others. They've been opening their mouths and speaking the gospel to others, and others have come to embrace it worse. There used to be just a handful of believers in Colossae. Then there came to be a dozen, and then a score, and then... Who knows how many there were? But it's bearing fruit. It's increasing. And again, for Paul, I think that the reason why this is causing him to give thanks is because it's a visible manifestation of the faith that they have. The good news we believe is organic. It, it doesn't just, oh, something we believe with our head. It affects us in our hearts, in our lives, and manifests itself. It changes us to the core. And that's what it had done to these Colossians. And that was why Paul was giving great thanks to them. And so I just would ask you and just really press upon you. It's my main point today, my main aim, the thing I've been praying for. Will you have spiritual eyes to discern and see the work of God, even in other places that you have never met? Paul is in Rome, perhaps on his way to death even. He may never meet these people in Colossae, and yet he was constantly thanking God for the work there. Is that your heart and your perspective? You know, we were praying for a dinner last night, and I just you know was really struck how oftentimes you maybe gather on your dinner table and thank the Lord for such good things, you know but there's so much more in which to thank the Lord for and to pray for. In fact, next week when we look at verses 9 through 12, maybe we'll spill over into verse 14. It kind of gives us a, a thing to pray for. The, the thing that causes Paul to give thanks? is the tremendous work that God had done in Colossae. And the thing that Paul prays for is for God to do a tremendous work in the people's lives. So my heart and my prayer is that the prayers of Rock Valley Bible Church will be transformed even as we look at verses 9 through 12 or 14 next week to think about how does it Paul prayed. Paul prayed because he was a spiritual man. And we need to pray along those ways as well. So let's bow our heads and pray. (coughs) Lord, as Paul said in verse nine, I pray that this would be true of us. Paul said, for this reason, also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the sustaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And Lord, I pray next week as we expound those words that You would show us God, of how we need to pray for spiritual growth in our lives. How we need to pray for you to work in the lives of others, increasing and abounding in the work of God. Joyously giving thanks. God, constantly growing and seeing your word in us, which would change us and transform us, God, because that is ultimately the thing that matters. Standing before you and sharing among the saints of the great inheritance of light that we have. So God, I pray as we go through Colossians, transform us and give us spiritual eyes and spiritual minds to see and to rejoice at the glories of the things that You have done and are doing in this world. And there ought never to be reason for which we ought to have difficulty in coming up with so many things to be thankful for. Because You have worked immensely among us. You've worked immensely in other places, and I pray that You would work in even greater ways. Stir our hearts, God, with fresh love and fresh power and fresh compassion, fresh desire for You. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.